0: Pretty much every progression we went through started with a mistake. Um, So I mean, hiring, we'd almost always get the first attempt at a new role, we'd swing and miss, and we'd have to do it again. Every new role. Pretty much, I hate to say, yeah. And then on the second time we did well, I would say with, with every role, but we had to build, for example, our remote hiring practices. What kind of person do we want? How can our salaries be competitive everywhere? Because if we're hiring for one role and it's a junior position, we're not even close to being able to hire someone in New York and we're really attractive to somebody in Nebraska or something and like, how do you close that gap so you actually can hire anywhere and increase your talent pool?
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of The Future is Remote. As always, I am your host, Kenneth Hellum, the self-proclaimed remote evangelist. That gets harder every time I try to say <laughs> it. With me in the virtual studio today, I have a man with an impossible name. Let's see if I can get it right. I have Henry O'Laughlin. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kenneth. I appreciate it. Henry is the founder at Build Remote. How about you tell me a little about yourself, why you find remote to be so interesting? Yep. And then I'm
0: curious about build remote. Okay, sounds good. I ran a fully remote marketing agency for six years. I worked there for eight years until a month ago, actually. So our business was. We sold marketing retainers to clients we helped software companies do their content marketing for them we happened to be remote so we didn't have any offices we had at any given point between six and 12 people on the team with contractors and stuff like that so we had people in every u.s time zone and then at different points people in europe someone in asia watched. so we were fully distributed no offices and we were trying to figure out how to run a remote business the whole time we kind of happened into it out of necessity we couldn't figure out how to hire people in a small town where the founder was located. No one would drive to this small town and wasn't enough talent. So it was like, <laughs> let's just start hiring everywhere. Yeah. And we sort of became remote. So that was years ago, like a decade ago. I was there for eight years and I operated the business for the most recent six of those years. Then the pandemic hit and then the entire world started working remotely. And I started reading all of the articles that people were putting out and I was like, oh, this is all terrible advice.
1: It's like every
0: day, be really available, check in frequently. These are all like the things we messed up with six and eight years ago. And so I started Build Remote as a way to just give advice about running a remote company. So so it started out just as a blog and trying to help people out with that in a time when there was a lot of bad advice going around from people who had worked remotely for three months. So six years
1: of remote, that's way before the pandemic. Yep. Right? So nobody was doing it at this point. And if they were, they weren't talking about it. Exactly.
0: How did you learn? Making mistakes. Pretty much every progression we went through started with a mistake, I would say. So, I mean, hiring, we'd almost always get the first attempt at a new role. We'd swing and miss and we'd have to do it again. (laughs) Every new role. Pretty much. I hate to say. Yeah. And then on the second time we did well, I would say with, with every role, but we had to build, for example, our remote hiring practices. What kind of person do we want? How can our salaries be competitive everywhere? Because if we're hiring for one role and it's a junior position, we're not even close to being able to hire someone in New York and we're really attractive to somebody in Nebraska or something. And like, how do you close that gap so you actually can hire anywhere and increase your talent pool? And then what are the steps to actually getting to know someone well enough over video that you feel comfortable hiring them? So we'd make a mistake, we'd really sit down and then build a process around remote hiring. The next one would be Slack, I'd say, is another area I remember where we just got Slack. (laughs) Companies were saying it was cool and we just jumped on, got Slack and had no protocols around it. And all of a sudden it turned into like a digital punch clock, I would say. People would come on and say hello, say goodbye at the end of the day, be available, the little green button the whole day. And that's not the like, work environment we wanted. We wanted people to have flexibility, freedom. And so we actually had to then go say, okay, like Slack's hurt our culture. How do we flip it and say hello, if you want say goodbye, if you want, it's not necessary, don't be on Slack, maybe check it once a day or set times to check it, we want you to have time to focus on your work, not just be available for work. So I'd say like everything we tried was throw it out there, make a mistake come back and actually build a thoughtful process around it. We just did that for years, and I felt by the end we were pretty good at operating remotely.
1: That's super interesting, because one of my theories is there's a big difference between experimenting with remote and being intentional with remote. Yeah. So it sounds like you started by experimenting, yep. h- hitting the wall a couple of times,
0: yep. and then intentionally putting in place something that worked. Yeah, yeah, I think that's... I think that's the right way to look at it. Didn't necessarily feel that way, but now like looking back on it as a package, it's pretty clear we would attempt things, not do so well, and then redo them over like three years. Then the pandemic hits and you see all the ones that we were like, oh no, those didn't work in 2017 and 14. And just coming back up as tips, meet daily and be available. And it's no, none of that stuff's actually what you need you. Probably should do the opposite. So you started Build Remote almost to help people not repeat your mistakes. Exactly. Yeah. And that was that was in summer of twenty twenty. I just set up the site, started writing, trying to give people advice on how to do it and avoid the mistakes we did exactly. So
1: in thirty seconds or less, and I will start a timer. What is Build Remote?
0: Build Remote is a remote operations consulting company. That's probably too many words, isn't it? It's essentially the system that we built at the small remote marketing agency, packaged up into a way to run your remote company. So it's a hiring process for remote, it's communication protocols for remote teams, it's managing remotely which KPIs do you need to be looking at to make sure you're functioning remotely. So I help small businesses figure out how to operate remotely with a few different consulting packages. So small businesses, who's your uh, target? Who's
1: your preferred customer?
0: Yeah, it's probably something like 10 to 100 employees. So smaller. So they previously had an office or some local small offices and some people remote. So that maybe they're hybrid in some sort of way and they're ready to jump fully on remote work. That, that's so cool. Who in these companies do you target and work with? You know how it goes. So if it's a if it's a really small business, the founder is doing all of it. So it would be the founder. And if it's a 100-person business, there's some head of operations that would probably be the right person. Or if the company has a full-time VP of HR in some way, it, it could be that person, depending on how they, they're structured. But it's whoever is in charge of operating the business and sort of the, the culture of the business as well. I found the same, actually,
1: because... A lot of companies don't have the role head of remote or chief remote officer. It's just too new of a term. Mm -hmm. So it tends to land with operation, but there's a lot of HR in there. So I'd say if you're going to put in a head of remote, you want it to be somewhere between operations and HR because it's about how you run your business, but it's also about how you support your people.
0: True. Yeah, absolutely. Are you seeing any traction with the head of remote role? You know, I tried to track it once as a blog post, so I do a lot of writing just to try to help people and help attract people to my business. I tried to find all of the heads of remotes out there about a year ago. Yeah. There was not a lot. I feel like there was like 18 or something, I'm guessing at the number, but it was small. I dug around the internet as much as I could. So no, I've not. I've spoken to some former heads of remote. You had Darcy on your podcast. I know Darcy a little bit. and Yeah, Darcy is great. Yeah, she knows what she's talking about. But I don't personally know any current heads of remote now.
1: One of the things I wanted to talk about today is your blog posts and the writings you do, because I know you've done some research on return to office. Tell me a little about that.
0: I guess it started probably at the end of 2020 with a couple of companies, usually banks, like, hey, everyone's getting back into the office. This remote thing is done. And then it really picked up again in the fall of 2021. It's almost like we're all like children. It's like going back to school and you have to do it at the end of the summer. So it was fall of 2021, and it was like, all right, everyone's returning to the office. The phrase was created around then, it sounded like. And then winter of 2022 again, and I just started thinking, I've read all these stories before. Bank of America's returning to the office. I swear, I read it fall of 2021 and winter of 2022 and summer of 2022 and fall of 2022. So I just wanted to start tracking the data on who's actually returning and how are they returning and all that. So I've got a data set I keep, and it's on my site about the Fortune 100's return to office. So I just picked the 100 biggest companies in the U.S., right? And go through every single month and look at their policy on remote work, hybrid work, their return to office date, postponements, all that. So I'd be happy to share a couple statistics around it and want to hear your thoughts too on what those might mean.
1: Yeah, yeah. Tell me
0: what you're seeing, and then we can discuss the... Yeah. So probably the most jarring one is currently there's 76 of the Fortune 100, 76% declared that they operate some sort of hybrid work schedule. Okay. So it's very high. This is all publicly accessible data. So some of the companies on the list just haven't announced anything about their return to office or their policy on remote or hybrid. 76 out of 100 operate on a hybrid work schedule. Almost was... everybody. Almost everybody. And it's also probably safe to say in 2019, it was probably almost nobody. Yeah. The term didn't even exist. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. Out of those 76, are some yeah. of them fully remote or are you tracking that separately?
0: I track that as well. So I have right now only two of the Fortune 100 are what I would call remote first. Can we give them some credit? Who are these two? Let's see. I'd have to pull it up. Source uh, Bergen. Okay. And Allstate. All right. Not what I expected. If, if you think about it, though, these are huge companies with massive office space footprints, right? Hundreds of thousands of employees, most likely. So it's you're having to turn a big ship. So at this point, two, two and a half years into this, for two to already pivot that way, it's actually sizable. And then the 76 that are hybrid are like, on the on-deck circle of remote work is what I'd probably say. And
1: I mean, I'm not surprised about this data at all. If you were to force me to guess, I probably would have said one or two is trying to be remote first. I'm not sure if they're there yet. And everybody else to a certain degree is going to say flex. Yeah. And and why is that, right? These big companies, they realize that their employees don't want to come in every day. They've tasted, they've proven that it's possible to do work from home. But at the same time, they're big companies. They're slow to turn. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of culture. The managers who have led these companies have always led them from the office. And that's what they know. That's what they're good at. Yep. Yep. So it's going to be very uncomfortable for them to say, no, you guys can just work from home or work from anywhere. So I think it's pretty natural to see this hybrid, at least in a transition period.
0: Yeah. I like the simplest way to put hybrid right now to me is, okay, you all employees want to work remotely but we company management have a lease (laughs) let's do hybrid do you think it comes down to the office building to to the
1: actual contract and on real estate
0: i do i think that's i think that's a huge part of it i honestly think it's all incentive based financially incentive based so it seems like and if you look at the companies that are leaning much more toward going remote they're tech companies, they haven't said they're remote first yet because they also have these massive campuses in Silicon Valley and all that, right? But Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon, they've all announced to some degree, yeah, most people can probably work remotely most of the time. Now, that doesn't mean they're remote first yet, but the tech companies are more apt to go for it. The banks are the least apt. The banks are essentially the ones that say, come back in five days a week. JP Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, and Morgan Stanley, so four of the handful of biggest banks in the Fortune 100, have all declared at some point, come back in five days a week, office first, that's it. Why, so why you, do you think that is? I, I would put it like this. If you sell something digital, you, you can go remote or flexible so tech companies. If you own your office space, So like insurance companies, older, well-established companies, you suggest a return to office. And if your actual product is office space, like banks, they underwrite the loans, their customers own office space. So they're incentivized to say the office is still valuable, right? Whereas tech companies aren't, they might own their office. But their product isn't office space. And I think that's really the incentive structure is banks can't go out there and say remote is the future because if they do, what is an asset on their balance sheet turns into a liability like overnight. So they, they're not allowed to say that. That's what yeah. it seems like.
1: <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, actually. I've seen yep. Google from, from the inside and, and they own a lot of property. They've had the strategy to invest in buildings, Mountain Butte, Sunnyvale, but also New York and across the globe now. But at the same time, they're making the technology that makes it possible to work remotely. Right. Yep. So they, they have some sort of a dilemma there because they invented the fun office 20 years ago yeah. with the colors and the slides and the free lunches and the dogs are welcome. So that culture sits in the wall, yep. in walls they own, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's a very data-driven company. Right. So yep. they're looking at how do we attract the best talent? How do we retain yep. the best talent? Mm-hmm. And they're realizing that it might not be forcing everybody to come back five days a yep. week. Yep. So they're landing somewhere in between. It'll be interesting to see how it changes moving forward.
0: Yeah, it is interesting. I think I'd love to know your thoughts, but hybrid to me, hybrid work is just pending remote work, essentially. I don't I think it's a temporary phase. And I've heard you I've heard you say hybrid work is a necessary evil. What do you mean by that? Maybe we're coming to the same conclusion. I think we are.
1: The shift to remote for a large company is such a big shift that it's not something you can or should do overnight. It needs to be thought through, worked through, and managed to be successful. And in the meantime, I think a lot of the... A lot of the work that is done, particularly person-to-person collaboration type work, is work they they want to see in offices. It's possible to change that, but it's... I'm not going to say difficult to change it, but it's a different mindset necessary to change it. And and I think it's going to be a slow transition. Yep. However, the evil part in hybrid is I think it's more difficult. Yeah, than being yeah. fully in-person or fully remote. I agree. Because now suddenly you have to cater to two very different ways of working at the same time. A simple example yep. is if you have a meeting and one person is remote, everybody else is in office. Will you have that meeting in the meeting room? Or should everybody right. be sitting behind their laptop on Zoom or Meet? And there's no good answer to that question. And as you're transitioning, there's going
0: to be more and more people being remote. So you still, you have to start implementing those processes. Yeah, you've got two operating models now. You have to manage both, like you said, and then you're incurring the negatives of one and the other at the same time. So if you're hybrid, you're still limited in your hiring geographically because you're saying, we're going to hire people in New York City. And we want them to come in two or three days a week and have the flexibility to work from home. The benefit of, the, one of the huge benefits of remote work is, okay, you hire in 50 square miles of New York City, I'll hire anywhere in the world and we'll see who gets better people over a decade. Yep. So you're removing that benefit of remote work and then you're incurring the negative of remote work. So you're, you've got the worst of both because then you're in the office, but your meetings are remote. They have to be because if two people are in the office and four are at home, and you got a six person meeting, it's a zoom meeting. And so you're doing zoom from the office. If everyone happened to be in the office, that could be a better meeting than a zoom meeting. I, I would absolutely give that to the office based model, but now you've got remote from the office and you've got a restricted hiring area and you're getting none of the benefits of either. <laughs> so. Over time, those will work themselves out and companies will go back to one or the other. And I think, unfortunately, when you're living in this worst of both
1: world scenarios, more traditional leaders who are advocates for in-office or return to office, they're going to yep. say, look, that didn't work. Yep. Look, hybrid doesn't
0: work. How could remote work? Yep. Let's come back to the office. Right. You're still paying for the office space. Yes. Like it's, again, as most people say, it's the second biggest expense behind your people or your payroll. And your hybrid work in its current form is underutilized office space. So how often an economy and companies trying to compete within that economy willingly take on costs that they're not getting anything out of, right? They get cut. It's, It's an interesting time. We'll see how it plays out. It's dominant right now. And it's most likely a temporary phase. So
1: I think it's interesting that you're tracking the top 100 companies. I would love to see a different cut or a different slice, maybe based on number of employees instead of just mm-hmm. revenue, because I'm guessing them that the smallest company on the top 100, they still have thousands and thousands of employees. Yeah. Yeah, they're huge. I, yeah. I think some really interesting stuff is happening with companies between 100 and 1,000 employees. Yeah. Okay. Below 100 still up, still scale up, trying to find their grounds, trying to find a product right. market fit. They have a bunch of other challenges, but when you cross that hundred mark, you have operations maybe in multiple countries, you're hiring, you're trying to hire from a global market. I yep. think that subset would be very interested to track because yep. they don't have the big investments in infrastructure and in office space yet, Yep, um, and they have the ability to go fully remote. It would be fun to see how quickly they change. Yeah, no, it's very true. They're Probably moving a lot quicker. (laughs) Yeah, I think at least what you'll find is there's going to be probably the same amount of of hybrid. But I think the numbers that are going fully remote or remote first are going to be a lot higher in in that subgroup.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that.
1: All right. To wrap it up, Build Remote. It's a blog. It's a consulting service. How do my listeners find you?
0: Yeah. Thanks, Kenneth. You can go to my website, buildremote.co or just Google Build Remote. You'll find a way to get there. My blog has resources for you running a remote company or sort of planning the operations of your business for the future of how people want to work. That would be the topic.
1: Awesome. I will put that in the show notes. And seriously, guys, yeah. go check it out. There's lots of great content there. Follow Henry on LinkedIn as well. He shares a lot. And yeah. and Henry, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Kenneth. I appreciate it. Have a good
1: one. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Henry Laughlin from Build Remote. If you enjoyed today's episode, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. If you have any ideas for guests or topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes, please let us know in the comments. As always, my name is Kenneth Hellum, and this is The Future is Remote.